For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Thank you for your patience. Our, imps, our, our assistant uh, table mover, uh, I think, is otherwise occupied, so I'm gathering all my things here. All right. Good morning, church. I, I don't know if I've ever been so close to losing my voice right before preaching ever. Man, I loved worshiping. Thank you, Andy and team, for, for leading us in worship so powerfully. Um, man. I love lifting my voice in a shout of triumph. I love just the, the, the power there is in worship and uh, what, a, what a wonderful time of, of praising the risen King together. Happy Easter, church! Happy Easter! He is risen! He is risen indeed! Um, I, I think that uh, we should have maybe told Nate to chill on tell, talking so much about the animals because I know that 70% of your brain is immediately out there with the baby, baby kangaroo and all those things. Talk about a place that over-delivered. We were told, like, ducklings and things, they have, like, baby emus and stuff. Like, that's crazy. It's, it's going to be a blast. But stick with me for a few minutes, okay? I am just as adorable as a baby little rabbit or something like that. Okay? So, so stick with me here as we get going. But uh, uh, I, what a wonderful day to celebrate the risen king to get together. I was thinking about, as we talk about Easter, we have the, the tomb that we see, you know, the, the, the illustration of the rock in front of the tomb. And I was thinking about famous tombs and famous, uh, 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 basically, places people are buried. You think about probably one of the most famous is King T- Tutankhamun, right? And, and his tomb that was, that was found not that long ago. And now his casket is literally being carried around on display. Aren't you glad you aren't just being like carried around to like different places for people to stare at you? You're like, hey, look, there he is. Um, but King Tut's tomb is very famous. We got the Great Pyramid at Giza, which is the Pharaoh Khufu is buried there, um, which a lot of us would love to see someday. Um, uh, there's Graceland where Elvis is buried. And we actually had some cheers in first service. We had some big, big fans of Elvis, uh, in the, in the house. In Forest Lawn, Los Angeles, there's, uh, there's uh, the resting place of many, many famous people, especially movie stars and things like that. Lucille Ball is buried there. Buster Keaton, Gene Autry, John Wooden, the UCLA basketball coach, is buried there. Places you can go to see where famous people have, have been interred. Um, as a matter of fact, there's the Green Dome in Saudi Arabia where, where the Prophet Muhammad for Islam is buried. And, and there's many people that take pilgrimages there to see, to see that burial place. Um, my wife, uh, Hosanna, last month got to go to New York City to spend some time with her sister, and they went to uh, the Trinity Church Cemetery, and she called me. She's like, Brent, it's just so surreal. I'm standing here where people I've read about in history books are buried. Their bones are literally right in front of me. Like, like how surreal is this? Their bones are right there, these people that are so famous. And, and it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating in a kind of a, a macabre way that we go to these places. But the reason we're here this morning is also because of a famous grave. But the reason we're here is because it's a grave that's unoccupied. That's the reason we're here is because it's a grave that's not filled. And so in Revelation, uh, John is... is uh, I grabbed my wife's Bible. I'm going to read to you from her Bible. I'm going to grab mine where I have the, the bookmarks. So in the book... Of Revelation, John is seeing a vision of Jesus and Jesus is talking to him and Jesus says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and the grave. 
This is the reason we have hope, that Jesus overcame the grave. Jesus overcame death and all these things. And so the greatest day in history was the day that death is defeated. And that's the day we celebrate today. That's, the, that's, that's what we celebrate this day. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me. We're going to be in the book of Luke. Book of Luke, chapter 24. Um, so if you have the Bible app, join us there. If you have your uh, hard copy Bible, open it there. And uh, we're going to start in verse 1, okay? Verse 1 says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. So, these women are on the way to this burial site of Jesus. And I think, we're going to pause here for a moment. If each of us was to look back in our life, if each of us was to take a few moments and to contemplate a time, we could all come up with a time that uh, something we were hoping for had fallen through. Something that we uh, were really banking on. It may have been something that, like a job or an employment opportunity. Or maybe it was a raise that we were expecting or uh, a, a promotion. Maybe it was a vacation that fell through. Maybe coronavirus started and it canceled a big trip you were hoping to take. Maybe it was an investment. A big investment you were banking on like a home or a car. Or maybe it was a relationship that you were really hoping or thinking would blossom. Or, or become something more and it fell apart. We've all can think of times where we look back and go, something I hoped for fell apart. Something we were looking forward to, dreaming towards, came apart. And this is something that Jesus' followers were experiencing on an existential level. In their lives, they, they, everything they had built their lives around, they had centered their lives around Christ, had fallen apart. Um, their dreams, their aspirations, their future was hinged on Jesus. In, in the book of John chapter 4, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And there's a huge multitude following him. They're like, Jesus is the man. And he's like, got this huge following. And the disciples are probably thinking, we're getting some good momentum here. But then Jesus says something. He says, I am the bread of life. And I come from the Father. And someone in the crowd was like, wait a minute. We know your mom and dad. You don't come from God. We know your mom and dad. And then Jesus says, not only that, I'm the bread of life and you must eat my flesh and my blood. You must drink it. And people are like, he's into some sort of weird, like vampire thing. We're out of here. And it said the crowds and the multitudes left him, including many of his disciples. And Jesus turned to the 12 and he said, are you two going to leave? And do you know what Peter said to him? Where else would we go? Because they had left everything to follow Jesus. They had left their jobs. They had left family members behind. They had hinged every bit of their, 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 they had wagered every bit of themselves on this, their social standing. Uh, they had put all their eggs in the, the Jesus basket, as it were. This is appropriate for this time of year. They had, they had put everything on Jesus, and then Jesus went and he died on them. And everything came crashing down. Everything that they had built their life on. Can you imagine everything you've built your life on disintegrating around you? And we have this advantage now. We have 20-20 vision. We have hindsight. We can look back and we know what happens three days after his crucifixion. But they, in the moment, were devastated. They didn't know what was happening. They didn't understand what Jesus was referring to before when he told them what would happen. And so this was a crushing finality for them. When Jesus died, their hope died with him. Hope was dead. And Jesus had ultimately become a martyr, just for a martyr for a good cause, and nothing more. And for these disciples, for many of them, they figured, you know, if Jesus can't keep himself alive, what is there for us? If, if, our, if our 
Savior, if the one that we're putting all our trust in can't even keep himself alive, what do we have for ourselves? And so they were in this moment of complete loss, realizing we have nothing left. And so these women that we just read about go to the tomb, not looking for the resurrection. Sometimes we look at it like they're like, the dawn is coming. We're going to go see the tomb open. No, they were going to embalm a dead man. They were going to mourn. And so these women go to the tomb with the expectation of mourning, with the expectation of loss. But when they got there, everything changed. In just a moment, suddenly everything changes. Can you imagine walking around the corner? You're discussing who's going to move this huge rock for us. We've got to get in there and, and, and anoint the body of Jesus. And they get there and the rock has been moved to the side. And it says this, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered over into the hands of sinners to be crucified. And on the third day, be raised again. And then... They remembered his words. Wow. Where hope was lost, where everything seemed to be lost, and suddenly a moment, everything changed. And the angels asked the women this, this phrase. He said, why do you look for the living among the dead? And that's a phrase that's been kind of bouncing around in my head the last couple of weeks. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Um, if you've known me for e- even more than like 10 minutes, you would know it's a rich heritage of mine to lose my keys. That's just what I do. It's, it's a gift. And, uh, and, and I go into panic mode. I, it doesn't matter if it's here at the church. I'll be like, you're doing something. I'll lose them. If I'm at home, finally, Hosanna got so sick of me tearing the house apart every couple days. Like I've got a dentist appointment and just tearing all the couch cushions up, you know, all that. She bought me a tile for my, for my keys. And now my, my keys are connected to my watch. My watch is connected to my phone. My phone is connected to my keys. So now if I lose any one, I can find the other one. So I'm always losing stuff, but has anybody ever found or lost something? And then you start looking in stupid places. You're like, maybe I put my wallet in the fridge when I got a hoagie, you know? You're like, maybe. Maybe I was using my keys in the shower. I don't know. And you're, you're hunting around in just places you would never normally look for them. That's the kind of feel I get with the, with the angels. They're kind, of, they're kind of giving a little dig to these women that are looking for Jesus. They're going, why are you looking for someone alive in a graveyard? Why are you, you, you looking for life among the dead? Then so there, there's this kind of edge to what they're saying. I like to think that they're kind of giving this, uh, this is kind of a ridiculous uh, approach that they, they're going, what? This is incredulous. What are you doing? And so they're, they're saying, why are you looking for life in places that are full of death? Why are you searching for life? Why are you searching for peace? Why are you searching for joy? Why are you looking for hope among dead things? We do that so often, don't we? We search for approval from people. So many of us are people pleasers. If I make people happy. Some of us, we're searching for that financial security. If I get this much put away, if I have this certain thing, this certain toy, this certain item, I can feel secure and I can feel complete. Maybe some of us search for it in religion. In the, in the security of going through the motions and the security of the ritual and security of knowing I'm, maybe I'm praying enough to, to make God happy. Maybe I'm, uh, giving enough tithe to make God happy. And, and actually in the actual obedience of the rules, we're trying to find security. We're trying to find life. And in searching for these things, even if we attain them, we end up back among the things that are dead. 
even if we attain them, we end up back among the things that are dead. There's a guy named Rick Rubin. He was the former president. Don't go to the next slide yet, Sandy. Um, there's a, there's a, a man named Rick Rubin who was the former president of Columbia Records. And he's the co-founder of Def Jam Recordings. And he's worth a quarter of a billion dollars. The guy is extremely powerful. He's got money. He's got influence. All these different things. But um, one of his artists overdosed one day. And he wrote this. He said, now you can go to it. It's hard to get truly depressed until your dreams come true. Once your dream comes true and you realize that you feel the same way as you did before, then you really get a feeling of hopelessness. This is a man who had everything. And so often we look for, this will complete me. This will make me feel complete. This will fill that void. And I remember when I was 15 going on 16, I felt like if I just get my driver's license in my car, life will be complete. What more could a man need? But we hit these mile markers, right? And then we look to the next thing. If I just get in this relationship, it will complete me. That void will be filled. If I just own my home, get my own home, then that will complete everything I'm looking for. If I finally get to go on this trip, if I finally get this salary amount, if I finally fit in these clothes, then I will feel complete. And we try to fill this void, but all it leads us back to is death. And the angels are asking these women, why are you looking for life among the dead things? Like the angels asked them that day, are you looking for life among dead things? Going back to the well over and over and coming back thirsty. Because the angels knew that true life was in Jesus. Jesus was alive and he was the source of life. And they pointed and directed them to Jesus. In the book of Acts chapter 3 verse 15 it says that Jesus is the author of life. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 it says that Jesus is the giver of life. And I love this. In John chapter 14 it says that Jesus says he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the actual life itself. So Jesus is the author of it. He wrote what life is. He is the giver of life, but he is life itself. He is the source. He is all the things we need. And the empty tomb is what gives the source to our hope. It's the reason we can have hope rising within our own souls. The the fact that the tomb is empty is the very reason we have hope that can rise in our souls. In the book of Mark, the angel tells the women that are there, he says, now come in and look where his body laid. This is an interesting thing. Because he invites the disciples in, the, the women in and the disciples to come in. The stone was rolled away, not so Jesus could get out. He wasn't in there like, somebody let me out of here. Jesus was, was in his glorified form. He was able to pass through locked doors later, it tells us. And, and, and so we know that Jesus was not held back by that stone, but the stone was rolled away so that the women could go in, so the disciples could see where he was, that the tomb was empty. It was done for the disciples' sake, that they could go in. And so the, the, the truth is, if they had gone in and seen Jesus' body again, it would, it would mean that nothing had changed, that there was still no hope. If we had a memorial tomb that was still full of Jesus' bones, we wouldn't be here today. It would be empty and pointless. It would be empty and pointless. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's writing about this. He says to the church in Corinth, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. He goes on in verse 17, he says, And if Christ has not been raised then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. If Jesus hadn't been raised, all of this is for naught. All the great music would just be a concert. The preaching 
would be a speech. But we are proclaiming what Jesus has done. We are proclaiming the victory that was won on the cross. And, and, and this is what gives us hope. The disciples didn't have all the answers when that happened. When, when the angel invited them in, the women were still like, what is going on? I like that it also says in the book of John, it says that his, uh, his garments were neatly folded there. Even Jesus made the bed after he left. It was pretty cool. But uh, they were going, what is going on? What's, what's happened here? And they go out and they encounter Jesus and it changes everything. When, when Peter and John come to the tomb and they, they see it's empty, it says that they actually doubted. They were confused. They were grappling with it. They, they didn't know fully what was going on. But the fact that the tomb was empty turned their night into day. The fact that the tomb was empty turned their despair into hope. The fact that it was empty turned their mourning into purpose for life. Suddenly there was something to hold on to. There was something tangible to grip. The resurrection, though, brings us to a point of decision. You see, Peter, after Jesus died, he just went back to fishing. He went back to his old way of life. He thought, what's the point? But when he found out the resurrection happened, everything changed. But it brings us to a point of decision. Either Jesus is who he says he is. He's the Son of God who is resurrected and alive today, or he's a fraud. That's a heavy thing to consider. And we all have to come to this point, and you might say, I struggle with that. I struggle with the, the fact of the resurrection. Is it real? Do I believe it? And let me tell you, continue to grapple with it. There's no shame or guilt in it. Jesus' closest followers grappled with disbelief until they encountered the risen Christ. They grappled with it. They weren't superstitious people. They didn't go to the tomb, like I said, looking for the resurrection. They went on a journey, though, from doubt to faith, to a profound faith. And here's the reality. Here's what we know. We actually have extra biblical accounts, not just uh, biblical accounts, but, but both secular Jewish and Roman historians who wrote, who were no friends of Christians, who wrote accounts for the fact that Jesus was a real man who lived, who claimed to be God who was crucified by the Romans and who was buried in a tomb. These are all accounts that are, that are accounted, for, accounted for. But then we have ten different accounts in the Gospels of Jesus' followers attesting that they had seen the risen Christ. Not only that, there's another account that says over 500 people saw Jesus. And it wasn't just like anonymous. It wasn't like some people saw him. But names are given. People that say, I attest to the fact that I saw Christ. Names and eyewitnesses. And after the resurrection, the church exploded like wildfire. It spread. And you would think that it would get tamped down because it came under immense persecution. But people were so confident in the risen Christ that they took the gospel around the world. Those 12 disciples who, who fled when Jesus was arrested suddenly were willing to take their faith to the point of execution, to the point of martyrdom, laying their lives down in some tremendously tortuous ex- executions because they knew that they had seen and experienced the risen Christ. They came to an appoint and an encounter that Jesus is alive and he says who he says he is. And the resurrection proved the deity and the godhood of Jesus. You see, the, 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 the crucifixion proved his humanity. It showed that Jesus was fully man and willing to lay down his life. But the resurrection proved his deity, that he was God, that death had no power over him, that he ruled over all things and he took life and gives it to us. And that gave substance to the disciples' faith when they saw the resurrection. And it's because Jesus is alive that we ourselves are Easter people, that we are Sunday morning people that celebrate the resurrection and the life we carry within us because of what Jesus did. In the book of Romans chapter 8, It says that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead 
lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Did you catch that? It says the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That same power that overcame the grave lives in you. We have resurrection life in Jesus. Resurrection DNA in ourselves. We have this within us. Our family has a labradoodle. Well, it's a lab, uh, golden doodle, actually. And uh, it's scary how smart he is as a dog. It's kind of terrifying um, at times. And then at other times, you're like, do you have two brain cells to rub together? I don't know. Um, and sometimes it seems like those two brain cells are fighting for third place. Uh, the, you're, you're going, what, what is going on? But they, they say that, you know, dogs are descended from wolves, that they have wolf DNA. But I'm convinced that our dog could not survive two hours outside our backyard. He just, it just would not happen. And wolves, you know, are these animals that could go out and hunt in packs and take down a caribou and eat it in the wild. And they're like these tough animals. Whereas our dog, if he eats a blueberry from our garden, we have to give him a probiotic to help settle his tummy. I'm like, where's the wolf in this dog? It's just not, it's not there. And so we see this, this distant connection to wolves, perhaps somewhere way down the line, this, this connection. Can I tell you that we don't have this just far off connection to Jesus? He lived, he overcame the grave a long time ago, and you know, we kind of get this trickle down effect. We have direct life from Jesus. We have this DNA of life that is given, overcoming the grave in our own lives. The we, the death has no power over us, though we will one day face a physical death. Eternity is ours in the name of Jesus. And I love what it says in the book of Romans that it gives life to our mortal bodies we have life not just in eternity but life for today we have life for today and this resurrection life is not just for when we die but it's in this moment now and we have rising hope to live out of today and let me tell you the good news is that god is for you some of us have grown up under a feeling of just tremendous guilt, a guilt religion that God is just waiting to smite you. When you sin, he is waiting with those lightning bolts and he's like, do it, just do it, just do it. Like, like an ant under a, a magnifying glass. And he's waiting for you to sin and mess up so he can burn you. But God sent his son Jesus to die for you because he loves you so much. He desires that no one perishes, the Bible says, but that everyone comes to a knowledge of who he is, comes to know him for themselves, comes to come to full life in him, that we could have eternity with him. So the Bible tells us that every last one of us who has ever taken a breath of air on this earth have sinned. And we've fallen short of God's glory. And that sin has separated us from God. Sin separates us from God because God is perfect and we've been given free agency. That means we've got free will. We can choose if we're going to serve God or serve ourselves. And every one of us at some point have chosen me. And we've been separated from God, but God sent his son Jesus to die for us. But he didn't stay dead because that would just be another sacrifice, another martyr for just a moment in time. But he was resurrected to give us life. And the Bible tells us that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and when we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we have salvation. 
When we believe and confess that He is Lord, we are saved. And so we cannot do it on our own. It's not about, about being a certain amount good enough. It's not like there's some sort of cosmic scale out there where you try to pile on the good enough stuff and keep the stuff off the bad side of the scale. And as long as it overweighs it, you're not going to hell. No, it's about Jesus doing it all for us because we can't do it ourselves. There's no amount of good that can overturn the sin that separates us from God. But Jesus did it all for us. And we have access to that this morning. That's why everyone's smiling and happy and excited. It's not because there's adorable bunnies and turtles outside. It's because Jesus has given us life and we recognize and celebrate that today. What a joyous day it is. And today is your day to say, Jesus, I choose to follow you and to make you the king of my heart. So if you've never done that before, maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus or maybe you've been running really hard and really fast in the other direction from him and today's your day to come back. No better day than Easter. What a day to look back on and say, I remember Easter of 2022 when Jesus ransomed my heart back and he, he became my savior and I have served him from that day forward. Let's make today that day. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes, church, today. In John chapter eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And if you want that resurrection life in you today, and this is your moment to give Jesus your heart, I want you to raise your hand and raise it high. Raise it high. Yes, thank you. See that hand. Anyone else? Yes, that hand and that hand. And those hands, yes, I see those hands. And those hands, thank you. Yes, I see that hand. Thank you, Father. You can put your hands down. Right now, we're going to pray together. And this prayer isn't magical. This is a prayer that comes from a, a heart position, not the words that we say. And it's establishing Jesus is the king of your heart. And what I ask you to do is when we're done praying in a few minutes... Pastor Ty is going to come up and lead us in our connection cards. Will you on that connection card mark that you've given your heart to Jesus? I ask you, I, I, I implore you to write that you have given your heart to Jesus today because we want to get the tools and materials in your hands on what it means to follow Jesus from this day forward. Because when you start to follow Jesus, it's a life paradigm shifting moment. Yes, Jesus' gift is free, but it changes everything. And we want to help you on the journey of what it means to be a disciple, of what it means to follow Jesus. And so we want to help you along that path. So mark on your connection card that you've given your life to Jesus in just a moment. But right now, church, can you repeat this prayer after me? Say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are God's Son. And I believe you took my sin. And you died for me. When I deserved death, you took my death. And when you raised from the dead, you gave me life. And so today I receive that life. This morning I make you my Lord. I make you my Savior. And I make you my King from this day forward. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church. What a joyous day. The Bible says that heaven rejoices when a lost one comes home, that that the heavens resound, that God himself just dances when one of his children return. And so God is giving thanks that you have returned home, that heavens are rejoicing and we rejoice with you. So let's stand this morning. Let's give praise to our king as we celebrate what Easter is all about, our risen king.
for Jesus. You guys can grab a seat. I just have a few things uh, to talk to you about. If I haven't met you, my name is Ty, and yes, I am the most handsome pastor on staff. You're welcome. Let's just get that out of the way. It's okay. But I have four things I want to talk to you about. Number one, we ran out of free donuts, but the good news is Hosanna heard, ran to the store. We have more donuts than ever. So make sure you grab one, two, three, how many donuts on the way to the cafe, which brings me to my second point. There is a petting zoo waiting for you on the other side of the cafe. There is a kangaroo. His name is Benny. Yes, he is on my Instagram. Shameless tag, shameless tag. But uh, there's also an alligator. There's all kinds of little critters. So make sure you go and check those out. It's going to be so much fun. They are adorable. It is hard to leave. Trust me, because I'm shooting people away from the parking lot as we speak. Third and fourth. So uh, third, a little more serious. We are going to fill out our connection cards. If you're looking back on the screen, we have this fancy QR code. Um, I was thinking like Wheel of Fortune, you could just like point up to it or something and be beautiful. But uh, go ahead and scan that with your phone or we can go to nlcchurch.com slash connect or you have them physically in front of you. There's two things we do with the connection card. If you are new, if this is your first, second, third time, uh, this is just a great way for us to serve you. So if we don't, if we don't connect with you, we can't, you know, hang out and get to know you, but we want to. So make sure you fill that out. Let us know it's your first time. We'd love to connect you with the life group, connect you with the serve team, just help you develop further in your relationship with Jesus and with one another. Um, the next reason, if you've been here for a while, we talk about this every week, it's part of our spiritual rhythm. All through the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, we see times where God tells them to stack rocks, which I always thought was kind of weird. But the reason he tells them to do it is that when future generations walk by with their parents, they'll say, hey, why are these rocks stacked like that? And they could say, well, that's where God did this. Showing us that if we can trust God to be faithful in the past, we can trust God to be faithful now and in our future. When we fill out these connection cards, it gives us an opportunity to, to write down what God's doing, whether he's carrying us through a hard time, whether he's blessing us, so that in the future, we can look back and say, God, I thank you for what you've carried me through. And now I know I can trust you to keep carrying me through. Lastly, as the ushers come forward, we have this opportunity to take our tithes offerings and our kingdom builder offering. What I love about this is this gives us a tangible way to put our faith into action, to show our faith, not just with our words, but with our obedience. How many of you guys know money is like a pretty important thing in our life? I heard a statistic and a quote that was really interesting to me that says, if you can learn to trust God with your money, all other parts of your life will just fall into place. I found that to be pretty true in my life. It's, it's, it's hard for me. Sometimes I just want to hold on to my money close-handed and tight, and God's asking me to trust him and let go. Our money a lot of times equals our security. It equals, like our hard work, it equals everything that we feel like we've gained in this world. And if we can learn to trust that in Jesus' hands, what can't we trust him with? Amen? If we can say with our mouth that we trust him, let's show it with our actions today. So there's a few ways that you can give. We have um, nlcchurch.com slash give. There's the envelopes in front of you. We also have the ashes coming around. You can also text 84321. It's not uh, 867539 or however the song goes. You know how it goes. I'm too young for that anyways. I'm just going to let that go. But there are three different ways you can give. And if you're giving specifically to our Kingdom Builders offering, just mark on your envelope or on the giving and that's what you're doing. And we'll make sure it gets in the proper place. But let me pray and we're going to get back to some uh, Jesus-centered rock and roll. Amen. God, right now, I love you. God, I'm thankful for these people. I'm thankful that you gave us the greatest gift of all today. You. God, I thank you that you rose from the grave, that you didn't simply die on our behalf, but now you're alive next to the Father, praying on our behalf. 
talking to the Father in a half, interceding on our behalf. I pray those of us that don't know you, today would be the day of our salvation, that you would take that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, a heart that loves you. If we do know you, help us to be more like you. Help us to shine our light for you. Help us to bring glory to you in everything we do. We love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. God searched the world. They couldn't fail me. Then they the praise. Treasures to fade. Never done. Then you came along. Bring me back together. Every desire sounds outside. Didn't know. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. You're the only one who cares You're the only one who cares
shout of praise this morning new life church we praise you father that you overcame it all thank you jesus that you are victorious lord and that you take our mourning and you trade it in for dancing that you take beauty for ashes lord where where there was death where there were bones you give life and this morning we walk in that freedom we walk in that life we walk in that liberty today we thank you for resurrection power that we can lay claim of, that we no longer have to return to the places of death, but we have life and life to the fullest in you, Jesus, the only one who can give it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, New Life Church. Go with God today. Have a blessed, blessed week. We'll see you next Sunday.